Hello and welcome to Cerebral Conversations. I'm Andy McLean. Are we saying welcome, Andy, or goodbye? My name's Ben McCallery. Well, this is it. This is the final episode in season one. Yeah, what a journey it's been. It's really been a privilege to meet all of our guests and learn more about cerebral palsy, disability, and the incredible progress being made. Uh, It really feels like positive change is in the air. Yeah, and we're wrapping up this season, Andy, with another cracker. Actually, I've said cracker about most episodes this season. I'm going to call this one a corker. In this episode, Andy and I speak with Marley Lyris Hull. Marley is a quiet achiever on several fronts. Let me take you through some of them. She works in the fundraising team at Cerebral Palsy Alliance in Sydney, and she also lives with Cerebral Palsy herself. She's studying for a degree at the moment, which is part of her quest to set up her own interior design business. She's the mother of three daughters, one of whom lives with a disability. And that's just a few of the many things she's juggling at the moment, Andy. It's quite, it it actually makes me tired just reading all of that. Yeah, actually, I need to lie down already because it is it is just staggering what she gets through uh, in any given day. And happily, Marley does unpack a lot of that for us in this episode. Um, we cover all kinds of things in this episode. We'll talk about how um, Marley's own experience of cerebral palsy has benefited her approach to parenting, how Marley feels society's relationship has changed with cerebral palsy down the years, and, as I said, how many things she juggles, how she does it, but importantly, how she does it with such grace. It's amazing. Marley is living proof that anything is possible if you have the drive and passion to make it happen. So here we go. Here's the last discussion of the season. Enjoy. I have cerebral palsy. It's uh, specifically known as spastic diplegia bilateral I think it is and basically that just means that it affects um, half of my body so the lower half in my in my instance so um, affects my legs so I have difficulty walking dressing putting you know pants and shoes on can be a bit difficult but that's my daily life (laughs) I'm married I've got uh, three daughters um, aged between 17 and 22 what was it like growing up first of all when were you diagnosed with CP and also how did that change did it change the family dynamics you know tell me a little bit about what that story was like sure well um, I'm a twin born in the 70s early 70s so um, you know things weren't uh, well known especially with regards to cerebral palsy so my um, my sister was first and then I was breech and um, it, and the doctor had to turn me around and the speculation is that it was either by turning me around that, that the cerebral palsy um, happened or lack of oxygen, no one really knows. But I wasn't actually diagnosed though until I was two and a half years old. They, My parents would see differences in my sister and I. I was always slower at doing things and every time she'd, you know, ask doctors or something, they'd say, no, 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 you know, they're all different you know, it's fine. But then it was, it got to a point where I wasn't able to sit up still, you know, my walking was clearly different by that stage. I was needing to hold someone's hand. So yes, I was diagnosed at two and a half. 
my parents at the time, because doctors weren't that familiar with cerebral palsy, you know, it was doom and gloom. It was, you know, she's never going to run, she's never going to drive, she's never going to have children, all this sort of things. And it was just horrifying for my poor parents. But I proved them all wrong. I, you know, I swim, I drive, I've had children. And so, um, to, to my parents' delight, <laughs> of course. But growing up with cerebral palsy, really, I didn't, I don't have memories of it being a horrible experience as a child. I was at a public school with my sister. I didn't feel any different. I was never treated any differently, which was great for, for that time period, really. And yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It did change the dynamics. Obviously, I was, because I had a big operation when I was nine. They cut my thigh bones and it was the first procedure ever done now I think they still do it now cut my thigh bones and rotated them 180 degrees outwards to try and get my feet out and that was a big operation I was in plaster from my chest down to my ankles for nine weeks and that was difficult on my parents and my sisters I got a lot of attention obviously more so than my sisters and they kind of still say today that you know that wasn't you know they, they still feel the the burn of that but but they understand. I want to go back to your childhood really briefly and just talk about the operation you had when you were nine. Can you remember that happening and how did you how did you feel because it was such a almost like an experimental surgery no it hadn't been done before how did that sort of make you feel? At the time, I, I mean, my biggest memories of that is just doctors, like teams of doctors hanging over me, you know, looking at me like, you know, oh, this is what we can do, can't do. But other than that, my memory, and of the pain, of course, because, you know, after being stuck in plaster for nine weeks, that was, uh, that was very painful when I find my joints were finally being able to move. I remember that. But other than that, it was it was exciting because, you know, for the first time after the operation, my feet were turning out, whereas that was never the case. Before that, I was tripping over my feet all the time because they were facing so far in. So it definitely made a difference, that particular um, operation. It was amazing. And like I said, I think they're still doing it to this day. It just was good. And it was from an orthopaedic surgeon as well, which no one would have known to go to. It was just by accident. It was actually at my mum's um, exhibition. She had a big exhibition. There was a doctor there and he saw me walking around and and he said, you know, what are you doing for her? And mum goes, I don't know. I've been to doctors and they don't seem to know what to do. And he said, I, I want you to see an orthopaedic surgeon. And that's how it happened. And out of that luck, um, I was able to have that operation. Changed me, I think, definitely. Amazing. So it's just about that connection and, yeah. and your parents being very proactive in that process. Can you talk to me a little bit about what rehabilitation looked like after that surgery? Oh, yes. <laughs> it was not fun. <laughs> I mean, we used to do um, the hydrotherapy pools and because that was in a warm water, so that was the best part way to start getting my joints to move again. And then, of course, there was learning how to walk again and being in crutches and and, but you know what? I got a lot of attention at school. You know, they were <laughs> they're all, oh look, there's Marley. You know, with the crutches, and yeah. So it was it was honestly a lot of the memories are quite positive for that time. I got a lot of attention from family, friends, presents. You know, so I think that's what I've grabbed onto, <laughs> maybe. But that's it's it is very positive, and of course, you know, the outcome. You know, I was able to continue to walk. It's interesting that. Your mum was an artist because you have artistic, creative leanings of your own, don't you? Do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the business that you're planning and also your studies? Yes, that's true. Well, my, yes, my mum is a full, 
always has been a full-time artist, very successful uh, in the 80s particularly. She really boomed then. But yes, I've, I study, well, I'm on my fourth degree at the moment, which is interior design, which I'm absolutely loving. And I've, I've always done kind of artistic degrees, you know, marketing, graphic design. One of them was business studies, not quite artistic, but, <laughs> um, but it was, um, and, and my, my, my aim is to have an interior e-design business, which is why I, I can't wait to finish this degree and then really get into it. What I, I'm hoping to do is make it an e-design business so that I can do it anywhere in the world through my computer. So I can just get, you know, pictures of rooms um, and dimensions. And then I just lay it out from there and and it also make it easier for my cerebral palsy because I won't have to visit and go on site. I can just do it all from my computer. So, hang on, hang on. Let's just back up a second. So you've got three kids. Yes. <laughs> you've got a day job. Yes. You're studying and you've got plans to set up your own business. Yes. Talk us through like what's a typical day or what's a typical week look like for you? How do you fit it all in? Um, I'm not sure <laughs> I fit it all in. It's a day to day thing because <laughs> I do. I work four days at, at Cerebral Palsy Alliance. I have to say since COVID, the silver lining of that is that we were able to start working from home. So, I mean, my, my girls do a lot at home, so they're really, really helpful. And they also help with my middle child who has special needs. They're fantastic in that sense. Um, you know, my husband and I share the cooking, so that helps because if I do have assessments, I can concentrate on that and he'll just look after all that sort of side of everything. But yeah, it's, it's a day-to-day thing. It's tiring. Um, sometimes I want to give up, but I don't because I'm determined to finish this final degree. I won't do any more after this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I like the challenge. Do you think knowing what you know about your cerebral palsy condition and what your uh, daughter needs from a special needs perspective, tell me about how the, you know, your empathy in regards to that. Has that having CP helped you in that regard? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, having I've, I've been able to, as you said, empathise with how, what she needs and just even on a daily basis, just getting dressed and, and moving around, you know, the difficulty that she has as well. So absolutely. I think without myself having cerebral palsy, I might not have had as much empathy or understanding of what she was going through or she's going through. So it has made a massive difference, yes. Uh, and what is your daughter's condition? She's got Neiman Pick type C, so it's a very rare a genetic condition, yeah. So um, we don't know where it's come from. My husband and I apparently have genes that um, that caused it, yeah. I know firsthand how uh, random those genetic conditions are. My daughter has neurofibromatosis type 1 and, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, 1 in 3 million or something. Mm. So it's yeah, I can completely understand the you know, the wonders of genetics and, you know, the random uh, random conditions. I just want to touch really briefly on what your typical, you know, working week looks like. So knowing your daughter has special needs, the dynamic of your family, can you just paint us a little bit of a picture about what a typical, maybe just what a typical day looks like for you? Yeah, okay. Well, um, it's, it's of course getting um, everyone ready in the morning. <laughs> I'm kind of the one that sort of directs everyone into what they need to do and make sure everything's done correctly and on time. I'm lucky because my eldest daughter actually cares for my my middle child during the day. 
so I can go to work, which is which makes a massive, massive difference. Um, so I'm able to concentrate on that. And I know that she's in safe hands because, you know, they get along so well and my oldest daughter's amazing with her. That's during the day and then at night it's just getting back into, you know, there's medications, there's therapies that she needs to go to, sessions, appointments, doctor's appointments. So that, that ranges throughout the week. She has infusions because she's also got Crohn's. She had those every eight weeks. So, yeah, it it's a juggling act, but um, I've got such great support with my family, my girls, my husband, my parents. So it's it's wonderful. I, don't, I think without that support, it would be a lot, a lot harder. I'm interested. You talked a little about um, your daughter being disabled and then you grew up in the 70s with a disability. Uh, how do you feel um, society's relationship has changed with disability and actually in particular cerebral palsy over the sort of decades? Hugely, hugely. And, and I don't know whether it's to do with more knowledge in, the, in society about it, things like September campaign, which brings a lot of awareness to it. But it's a massive difference. I, I don't recall as a child being massively teased, but I could have just blocked it I don't know um, but but I do find that it's very accepting in fact I think nowadays it wouldn't be accepted if you didn't accept a person with a disability so I think that's where the frame of mind in society has changed massively since the 70s we were more kind of outcast then but now we're included you know and yeah it's a bad thing if you're not <laughs> obviously diversity and inclusion strategies are just part and parcel of a modern day workforce as you sort of touched on but can you share maybe earlier on in your career some stories about how you know it wasn't sort of first and foremost uh, you know a priority yes absolutely yes so um so I did you know before working at cerebral palsy alliance I was in a lot of corporate companies and it was much more difficult to get into I felt, well, my experience anyway, was to, to get um, ahead in the company. You were seen as a, someone with a disability, so wasn't quite able to be included in any promotions or anything like that. They kind of sort of stuck you somewhere, you know, tried to make you feel included, but, you know, you always had that feeling that it wasn't quite that. Whereas uh, working now, especially at the Cerebral Palsy Alliance, it's completely different very different atmosphere and in fact you're um, encouraged to move on and move forward and that wasn't the case with other corporates that I've worked with. Thinking about the future of work and how far employers have come in regards to workplace workplace flexibility in the time of COVID, you know, what, what are your thoughts in regard to, you know, diversity and more specifically inclusion in regards to the future of work? Yeah, well, um, you know, you'd want employees to employers to make sure that they they don't they see past the disability, obviously number one, but make it easy. Like if they if if people with a disability can't come into work for whatever reason, yes, do it online, get them to work from home. It's obvious now that this can be done with most companies now. So, and that's again another silver lining of COVID. So use that, you know, get make it as easy as possible for them to still be a part of the organisation. And that's what I would hope that employers would do for people. Just find those avenues that they can actually get in there without making it difficult for them. It's interesting, as we've been doing these podcasts, something that I've heard from a number of different people is how they've been, other people have come to them and defined them by their disability and seen the disability first rather than the person first. Absolutely, yeah. And that, that's the unfortunate part. And I think hopefully society's trying, trying to change that now but that's always 
has been in the past been the case um, where, yeah, they, they see the disability and that's it. They don't delve further into that, into that person's personality or who they are. And unfortunately, sometimes they see people with a disability and just make an assumption that that's also a mental issue as well. You know, they have a mental disability as well. So that's that's been an issue in the past, but I'm, I'm, I'm finding that that's not so much the case anymore. That's good to hear. Would you have any advice for people who encounter somebody with cerebral palsy and they're not quite sure, do they do they ask or shouldn't they ask, you know, what the condition is or anything like that? Is there any, is there, do people come to it with a bit of awkwardness sometimes? Absolutely. And I don't blame them. Uh, you know, it is difficult to know, you know, what, what can I ask, you know, because everyone has different boundaries. Um, but I always try and give the advice of just uh, just ask, you know, they'll let you know if they don't want to say anything. Just treat them as, a, as anyone else, you know, don't treat them because of a disability any different and, and just ask, just ask questions, ask if they need help. They, they will let you know. I know I do. I let people know if I don't need help. You know, if I was to walk out this door and fall on the floor, I don't like help because I don't want to draw attention to it. You know, that's just me. But but some people do. So you're better off asking and they'll let you know. Absolutely. But, but I understand the fear of, you know, not knowing what to say. I get that. Thinking about your daughter and potentially her entering the workforce of the future, What's your hope for her? You know, what is what do you hope that employers get better in regards to uh, diversity and inclusion? Yeah, well, I hope that, um, I mean, and I hope this for ev- anyone really is just to, as we were saying before, just look past the disability, look past what, you know, don't assume that what you see is all there is to that person. They might be missing out on some fantastically talented people because of their... I shouldn't say prejudice, but, you know, just their, you know, limited thinking with regards to people with, with uh, disabilities. So, um, yeah, and, and I find that people with a disability also tend to push themselves even more and are really fantastic employees because they really want to show people, you know, this is not me, this disability is not me, I can do fantastic things, let me prove that to you, and then they, they tend to do that. Something I've certainly seen really shining through is problem solving. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think when you're limited or if you have a limit to anything, you tend to push yourself even further. It can be anything, even if someone is not um, intellectual or doesn't like going to school, you know, and you find that they're put down by teachers and all that, oh, you're not smart enough. Even that that sort of person will excel in, in their life because they've always got something to prove. Um, and definitely with that, that happens with someone with disability. I find I do that all the time. I'm always pushing myself and pushing myself. I try not to tell my daughters, you know, you shouldn't have to prove yourself to anyone, but, but at the same time, you know, you want to show them I'm more than just what you're seeing. Marley, something that really kind of stands out when I talk to you is you seem to be very driven. You've got this sort of, all these ideas and, you know, you're, you're studying, you said it's your fourth degree, did you say? Correct. Fourth degree. So if you were giving any advice to other people with cerebral palsy, obviously with the caveat that cerebral palsy manifests itself in lots of different ways. But if you were thinking about people um, who have cerebral palsy themselves and they have ambitions and and perhaps maybe they've come across people in life who've said, oh, you can't do that or you'll never do that. What would your advice be for them? Don't listen. 
Do not listen to people tell you not you can't do something. Absolutely not. My biggest advice is don't have regrets. Don't don't limit yourself because you think you you know you can't do something because of your disability. Um, I did that for many years. I've just pushed my way through that and thought, no, I'm not going to let that stop me anymore. So you know, yes, I've I've, I've done my degrees or doing my fourth one now, but did the other degrees. I've you know worked. I draw, learn how to drive. I didn't let anything stop me, and I didn't. I never wanted to be treated differently and I think that was one of my main um, motivations as well and my parents were fantastic like they never ever treated me any different from anyone else my sisters or anything so I kind of that that really made a difference as well they were fantastic and that's interesting because we will have parents listening to this and potentially we'll have parents who are quite new to the world of cerebral palsy they'll be coming to it they might not know a lot about it and they're fight they're fact finding and they might be listening to the podcast for that very reason so what would your advice be for parents who are kind of starting out on this journey a little bit with a with a child with cerebral palsy? Just don't treat them like they have a disability. That's my number one. I think I would I would tell them because majority of the time there's nothing wrong with it's just a physical disability. So you know, unfortunately, you have friends and and people on the street or something that might you know talk to your child differently. Try to make that not happen if possible because. It does affect the person, even though they're not showing it. And like you said, there's different degrees of cerebral palsy and maybe some children don't can't show their expressions as easily, but they are feeling it and they do notice it. So, And if you've got other siblings, uh, other children, um, treat them all the same. You know, don't, don't make any special consideration, obviously, unless you have to, but just treat them the same because that's all they want. And then, and then it doesn't become a big deal after that. So Marley, with that continuous improvement and that drive top of mind, what's next? What are you going to do next? Okay, well, um, I, I am my business is my number one priority at this moment. Uh, I'm really, I'm, I've just got a massive passion for it, for interior design, and so I would absolutely love it if I could get this e business, e design business, up and running. I don't know how. I'll be honest. I have no idea where to start. But when there's a challenge, we'll find a way to get around it. And this is going to be my next challenge. So I'm going to do all the. Um, Googling that I can <laughs> to find out what I need to do to get this business up and running. And yeah, that's going to be my next project once I finish this, this degree. Ben and I have both been on that journey, haven't we? Starting our own businesses. And I must say, part of it is starting, you know, and you've done that. And that's actually the biggest, that's the biggest step, isn't it? But once you start, it's amazing how things start to fall into place. We talked about the serendipity of talking to different people and coming across different people. Um, I believe with the drive that you've got, I've got no doubt whatsoever that you'll get there. How you get there, we don't quite know yet, but that'll be the fun of finding out. Yep, that's the that's the part of challenge. I mean, I love the challenge, so that's going to be my next my next my next goal. It's all about that journey. It is about that journey, yeah, and it's motivation. I think motivation is a big thing as well, and and passion, as well. If you know, if you've got passion for something, you don't need to do anything that you know makes money. It's all about doing something that you love, not feeling like you're at work, and it all falls into place. Hopefully, that's my idea anyway. <laughs> Love it. What a beautiful note to end on. I, th I thank you so much, Marley. I've really enjoyed having a chat with you today. Thank you. You've been listening to Cerebral Conversations, a podcast produced by Cerebral Palsy Alliance. 
To learn more, check out the show notes to this episode over at cerebralpalsy.org.au forward slash cerebral conversations. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate or review on your favorite podcast platform. And to join the conversation, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. The music for this podcast was kindly supplied by Ocean Alley. Check out the band's music on Bandcamp or visit oceanalley.com.au.